A Journal of the Plague Year, being observations or memorials of the most remarkable occurrences, as well public as private, which happened in London during the last great visitation in 1665, written by a citizen who continued all the while in London, never made public before. Episode 2 With the plague now beginning to spread and intensify, and having witnessed so many of his neighbors fleeing the city, the author realizes that he must soon decide whether to stay or go himself, and he offers his reflections and decision-making process as a guide to others who might find themselves in similar circumstances. Like many of us would be, he's torn between the desire to protect his belongings and property, or to flee and perhaps save his life. In a particularly interesting conversation with his more well-traveled brother, he considers whether his fate is preordained and thus not affected at all by any decision he might make. In the end, after a series of incidents prevents him from leaving, he settles on considering what we might now call the preponderance of the evidence as a method for making such a decision. By this he means that we should look upon the entirety of opportunities and obstacles that present themselves to view them complexly as being, quote, intimations from heaven, unquote. Finding guidance and solace in the 91st Psalm, and after a brief bout of some minor but worrisome illness, he is confirmed in his resolve to stay in London, placing his fate in God's hands. I now began to consider seriously with myself concerning my own case, and how I should dispose of myself, that is to say, whether I should resolve to stay in London or shut up my house and flee, as many of my neighbors did. I have set this particular down so fully, because I know not but it may be of moment to those who come after me, if they come to be brought to the same distress, and to the same manner of making their choice and therefore I desire this account may pass with them, rather for a direction to themselves to act by than a history of my actings, seeing it may not be of one farthing value to them to note what became of me. I had two important things before me. The one was the carrying on my business and shop, which was considerable, and in which was embarked all my effects in the world and the other was the preservation of my life in so dismal a calamity as I saw apparently was coming upon the whole city, and which, however great it was, my fears perhaps, as well as other people's, represented to be much greater than it could be. The first consideration was of great moment to me. My trade was a saddler, and as my dealings were chiefly not by a shop or chance trade, but among the merchants trading to the English colonies in America, so my effects lay very much in the hands of such. I was a single man, tis true, but I had a family of servants whom I kept at my business, had a house, shop, and warehouses filled with goods, and in short, to leave them all as things in such a case must be left, that is to say, without any overseer or person fit to be trusted with them, had been to hazard the loss not only of my trade, but of my goods, and indeed of all I had in the world. I had an elder brother at the same time in London, 
and not many years before come over from Portugal, and advising with him, his answer was in three words, the same that was given in another case quite different, that is, Master, save thyself. In a word, he was for my retiring into the country, as he resolved to do himself with his family, telling me what he had, it seems, heard abroad, that the best preparation for the plague was to run away from it. As to the argument of losing my trade, my goods, or debts, he quite confuted me. He told me the same thing which I argued for my staying, that is, that I would trust God with my safety and health, was the strongest repulse to my pretensions of losing my trade and my goods. For, says he, is it not as reasonable that you should trust God with the chance or risk of losing your trade, as that you should stay in so eminent a point of danger and trust him with your life? I could not argue that I was in any strait as to a place where to go, having several friends and relations in Northamptonshire, whence our family first came from, and particularly I had an only sister in Lincolnshire, very willing to receive and entertain me. My brother, who had already sent his wife and two children into Bedfordshire, and resolved to follow them, pressed my going very earnestly, and I had once resolved to comply with his desires, but at that time could get no horse, for though it is true all of the people did not go out of the city of London, yet I may venture to say that in a manner all the horses did, for there was hardly a horse to be bought or hired in the whole city for some weeks. Once I resolved to travel on foot with one servant, and, as many did, lie at no inn, but carry a soldier's tent with us, and so lie in the fields, the weather being very warm, and no danger from taking cold. I say, as many did, because several did so at last, especially those who had been in the armies in the war, which had not been many years past. And I must needs say that, speaking of second causes, had most of the people that traveled done so, the plague had not been carried into so many country towns and houses as it was, to the great damage, and indeed to the ruin, of abundance of people. But then my servant, whom I had intended to take down with me, deceived me, and being frighted at the increase of the distemper, and not knowing when I should go, he took other measures, and left me, so I was put off for the time, and, one way or another, I always found that to appoint to go away was always crossed by some accident or other, so as to disappoint and put it off again. And this brings in a story which otherwise might be thought a needless digression, that is, about these disappointments being from heaven. I mention this story also as the best method I can advise any person to take in such a case, especially if he be one that makes conscience of his duty, and would be directed what to do in it, namely, that he should keep his eye upon the particular providences which occur at that time, and look upon them complexly, as they regard one another, and as altogether regard the question before him. And then, I think, he may safely take them for intimations from heaven of what is his unquestioned duty to do in such a case. I mean, as to going away from, or staying in the place where we dwell, when visited with an infectious distemper. It came very warmly into my mind one morning, as I was musing on this particular thing, that as nothing attended us without the direction or permission of divine power, so these disappointments must have something in them extraordinary. And I ought to consider whether it did not evidently point out or intimate to me 
that it was the will of heaven I should not go. It was immediately followed in my thoughts that if it really was from God that I should stay, he was able effectually to preserve me in the midst of all the death and danger that would surround me, and that if I attempted to secure myself by fleeing from my habitation and acted contrary to these intimations, which I believed to be divine, it was a kind of flying from God, and that he could cause his justice to overtake me when and where he thought fit. These thoughts quite turned my resolutions again, and when I came to discourse with my brother again, I told him that I inclined to stay and take my lot in that station in which God had placed me, and that it seemed to be made more especially my duty on the account of what I have said. My brother, though a very religious man himself, laughed at all I had suggested about its being an intimation from heaven, and told me several stories of such foolhardy people, as he called them, as I was, that I ought indeed to submit to it as a work of heaven, if I had been any way disabled by distempers or diseases, and that then not being able to go, I ought to acquiesce in the direction of him who, having been my maker, had an undisputed right of sovereignty in disposing of me, and that then there had been no difficulty to determine which was the call of his providence and which was not. But that I should take it as an intimation from heaven that I should not go out of town only because I could not hire a horse to go, or my fellow was run away that was to attend me, was ridiculous, since at the time I had my health and limbs and other servants and might with ease travel a day or two on foot and having a good certificate of being in perfect health, might either hire a horse or take post on the road, as I thought fit. Then he proceeded to tell me of the mischievous consequences which attended the presumption of the Turks and Mohammedans in Asia, and in other places where he had been. For my brother, being a merchant, was a few years before, as I have already observed, returned from abroad, coming last from Lisbon. And how, presuming upon their professed predestining notions, and of every man's end being predetermined and unalterably beforehand decreed, they would go unconcerned into infected places and converse with infected persons, by which means they died at a rate of ten or fifteen thousand a week, whereas the European or Christian merchants, who kept themselves retired and reserved, generally escaped the contagion. Upon these arguments, my brother changed my resolutions again, and I began to resolve to go, and accordingly made all things ready. For, in short, the infection increased round me, and the bills were risen to almost seven hundred a week, and my brother told me he would venture to stay no longer. I desired him to let me consider of it but till the next day, and I would resolve, and as I had already prepared everything as well as I could as to my business, and whom to entrust my affairs with, I had little to do but to resolve. I went home that evening greatly oppressed in my mind, irresolute and not knowing what to do. I had set the evening wholly apart to consider seriously about it, and was all alone, for already people had, as if it were by a general consent, taken up the custom of not going out of doors after sunset, the reasons I shall have occasion to say more of by and by. In the retirement of this evening, I endeavored to resolve, first, what was my duty to do, and I stated the arguments with which my brother had pressed me to go into the country. 
and I set against them the strong impressions which I had on my mind for staying. The visible call I seemed to have from the particular circumstance of my calling, and the care due from me for the preservation of my effects, which were, as I might say, my estate. Also the intimations which I thought I had from heaven, that to me signified a kind of direction to venture, and it occurred to me that if I had what I might call a direction to stay, I ought to suppose it contained a promise of being preserved if I obeyed. This lay close to me, and my mind seemed more and more encouraged to stay than ever, and supported with a secret satisfaction that I should be kept. Added to this, that, turning over the Bible which lay before me, and while my thoughts were more than ordinarily serious upon the question, I cried out, Well, I know not what to do. Lord, direct me, and the like. And at that juncture I happened to stop turning over the book at the 91st Psalm. And casting my eye on the second verse, I read on to the seventh verse exclusive, and after that included the tenth as follows. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, and so forth. I scarce need tell the reader that from that moment I resolved that I would stay in the town, and casting myself entirely upon the goodness and protection of the Almighty, would not seek any other shelter whatever, and that, as my times were in his hands, he was as able to keep me in a time of the infection as in a time of health, and if he did not think fit to deliver me, still I was in his hands, and it was meet he should do with me as should seem good to him. At this resolution I went to bed, and I was further confirmed in it the next day by the woman being taken ill with whom I had intended to entrust my house and all my affairs. But I had a further obligation laid on me on the same side, for the next day I found myself very much out of order also, so that if I would have gone away, I could not. And I continued ill three or four days, and this entirely determined my stay. So I took leave of my brother, who went away to Dorking, in Surrey, and afterwards fetched around further into Buckhamshire or Bedfordshire, to a retreat that he had found there for his family. It was a very ill time to be sick in, for if anyone complained, it was immediately said that he had the plague, and although I, I had indeed no symptom of that distemper, yet being very ill, both in my head and in my stomach, I was not without apprehension that I really was infected. But in about three days I grew better, 
The third night I rested well, sweated a little, and was much refreshed. The apprehensions of its being the infection went also quite away with my illness, and I went about my business as usual. These things, however, put off all my thoughts of going into the country, and my brother also being gone, I had no more debate either with him or with myself on that subject.